Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to explain why what you think you're selling ain't what your clients are buying. Yes. Well, I, I have to say, Jonathan, I wanted us to talk about this because your emails have been on fire lately. <laughs> and you've given a bunch of different examples. But the one I just loved was where you had this list of things that you might think your client is buying. Would you talk some more about it? Sure. Yeah. So it's been my experience with software developers, especially that what they think of as what they do is not what clients think of as what they do. And that the, the, the fact that anybody, any software developer ever gets hired is like an accident or a coincidence <laughs> that those things sometimes overlap. It's bizarre. So when a, a uh, the example I gave in the email was of an Ember developer. Ember's like a front-end software framework uh, that people build, you know, really fancy web applications with. And it's a powerful tool. People consider themselves, you know, if you ask somebody, hey, what do you do? And, oh, I'm an Ember developer. Okay, that that tells me where yeah. they think their identity is. They think of themselves in sort of a, uh, like a craftsman would, oh, I'm a carpenter or you know, something mm -hmm. like that. I'm a, I make cabinets or I make furniture. Well, I make Ember apps. I'm an Ember developer. And because that identity is so strong and they're in a giant tribe of people who consider themselves the same thing, they, Ouch. yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a community, which is great. But from the outside, for somebody who's not in that community, they all look the same. Right. So when somebody, when someone gets hired, when an Ember developer gets hired, they're thinking, oh, they're hiring me to do Ember development. They're hiring me to write code. Uh, you know, or maybe they're thinking a little bit more upstream, like they're hiring me to write front end code or write front end JavaScript code or write front end JavaScript code in the Ember style or using the Ember framework. But that's not, that is almost surely not what the customer is buying unless the customer is like the CTO of, of, I don't know, LinkedIn or something like that, where they have LinkedIn's an Ember app. So, mm. you know, if in that case, fine, they, they are looking for Ember developers and they are going to treat you as sort of a commodity interchangeable with all other reasonably good Ember developers. But a normal client, you know, the proverbial dentist or pizza place or, you know, whatever, someplace that's not an Ember expert, but does need something, uh, they're hiring you to achieve some business outcome for them. It's almost certain. Yes, it's true that sometimes you'll talk to somebody or gatekeeper or someone who's been tasked with putting out an RFP that, that that particular person you're talking to doesn't know the ultimate goal, but somebody does. They're not doing it for fun. They're not doing it. They, they, they didn't right. say, like, quick, we need some code. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. No one needs that. No one's going to print out your elegant code and frame it and put it on the wall like, you know, a commissioned art piece. It's not that at all. So in the email, I talked about you know, an Ember developer who has that as their identity thinks that what they're selling is Ember development. They're being paid to code, build Ember apps. But virtually nobody is actually buying that. And I made a list of, of the kind of progression from right code to like a desirable business outcome. It's sort of a stepwise progression that I'll, I'll read to you because I could not remember it. It's a long list. <laughs> so the first one's write code. You know, maybe you're being hired to write code. Unlikely. Uh, Maybe they're being hired to write front-end code specifically, or maybe they're being paid to write front-end JavaScript or front-end JavaScript with Ember. Or maybe the client is paying you to build a new feature with Ember or to build a specific feature with Ember, like a customer service dashboard. 
Or maybe they don't care about Ember at all and they just want you to build a customer service dashboard. And it just so happens that you're going to use Ember to do that. But then you can go even deeper into sort of softer goals, more intangible goals, like your buyer wants you to get the customer service team off the CEO's back because they're constantly bugging the CEO with like, oh, we can't get this done. We can't get that done. Mm -hmm. So that could lead straight into, oh, the goal of this project is to improve the morale of the customer service team or improve the productivity of the customer service team. And like, oh, okay, well, why would you want to do that? Well, because that way we could decrease the resolution time for customer complaints. Now, all of a sudden we're talking about customers. Mm -hmm. So would that increase customer satisfaction? Oh, yeah, that would. Interesting. And do you think customer satisfaction would decrease churn? Do you think, you know, you would have a longer relationship with your customers if they were more satisfied from the customer service experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, interesting. So in, in the developer's mind, they're getting paid to write code. But in the client's mind, somewhere in the client organization, there's someone who knows that what the strategic goal at a high level is to decrease customer churn. And maybe creating a customer, a dashboard for the customer service team is just one aspect of that, but it contributes mm -hmm. to that bigger goal. And if you know that bigger goal, then you're having a completely different conversation. And in fact, will probably make different decisions while you're doing the work. Yes. So, you know, and it of course has really strong implications on pricing because uh, you're getting closer and closer to the value like of the project and farther and farther away from this sort of commodity labor type of thing where you could go choose from a pool of any one of 10,000 Ember developers who are basically an undifferentiated slurry as far as the, the customer is concerned. Yeah. And well, and it's also the work that this person is doing. I mean, if, if you want to, and I, I put just in quotes, just be a coder, right? You mm -hmm. want to code and you just code all the time, then that's one end of the spectrum. But what if you're fascinated with the impact that your work has and you can can connect the dots for a client. All of a sudden, you are so much more valuable mm -hmm. to that client. And not only that, you're doing a different kind of work. Right. It's I like, would argue. Sure. It, it changes. It changes something. Right. I mean, you still might be coding, but, you, you know, in terms right. of like the labor, the activities that you engage in. Yeah, you're still coding, but it's going to change all of the communications, and all the conversations and all of the decisions along the way throughout the project because you're right. going to be focused on an end goal, not on some task list that's being assigned to you or perhaps you created without having a clear goal in mind. So, you know, you're just dribbling around an infinite basketball court with, with, you know, that just extends to infinity and you're just like, look how good I'm dribbling, you know, but you don't know where you're, where the net is if you don't ask. Right. So then what do people do? They just sort of default to best practices and what they, what their colleagues believe is the right way to build a module and the right way to render a button. And they are very proud of the fact that they did everything the right way, but they don't even have visibility into, well, did this, did this help the business at all? Did this help the client at all? Right. Because they weren't really, they never had those conversations. So I, I think it's important when you're meeting with a customer and this will definitely lose you gigs, but it will not lose, it'll lose you the bad gigs and it'll get you the good gigs is that you kind of try to work your way down this list. So if you're starting with, you know, they come to you and say, Hey, we've got an Ember app. It's, you know, it's got some problems. We need you to come in and, and add some features. You look great. Happy to do that. Let's have a conversation. And they say, yeah, we want you to write some front end code. You're like, all right, cool. Why, why do you want to do that? Well, because, you know, the customer service team is on the CEO's back and, they're really, it's driving, it's driving everybody crazy. 
people are quitting. It's, it's a pain. Oh, all right. Well, why are they upset? What do they care? Well, because they like their job. They are really connected with the clients. We have great client our customers and they feel like their hands are tied. They can't service the, the customers as fast as they like. So they're just constantly getting yelled at because mm. they don't have the tools they need to do their job. Great. All right. Yep. I can see that's a big problem. That would, that would, that sounds awful. Uh, we can definitely help with that. Is that, is that going to have some impact on customer experience or is this just something that is going to improve the morale of the team? Oh, it'll definitely affect the customer experience. We'll be able to change, you know, decrease resolution time from like two weeks to hopefully a matter of hours. Oh, do you think that's something we could measure? The resolution time? Would that be important? <laughs> now, all of a sudden you're not getting paid by, you know, we're not measuring hours right. of time sitting in a seat right. coding. You're measuring the value, the decreased resolution time as a leading indicator for customer satisfaction. And the, the, uh, the difference that this will make is that if you know the goal, the goal is to, to decrease the resolution time, then you can think more, much more broadly about what you're going to do to achieve that. And there might be, you might have like a, a bunch of ways you can imagine doing that. You could look at the existing system and be like, well, well, your problem is, you know, and you could see that there's a small tweak that you could make that you could, that would take you five minutes and you could price $5,000 and the, the customer would kiss you on the lips. <laughs> or right or you could say well or there's a, a more involved approach that would be probably better for the long term in these particular ways uh, it would both increase the morale and decrease the resolution time and give more visibility to the customers so you know that would be significantly more expensive and be more involved and it would take more time commitment from your team but you know that would be instead of five thousand dollars that would be you know twelve thousand dollars and or mm-hmm. this bigger option where we just remove all the bottlenecks. We take care of everything. We rewrite this entire module, get, you know, and you would end up with these sorts of benefits where customers could self-service and your customer service team wouldn't even have to deal with half of these things. But, you know, but that'll be Mm -hmm. $95,000. And now they're thinking about like, okay, which outcome do we want the most? There's no conversation of like how much time is going to take you to type, type all this up. You know, how, how, you know, how many lines of code are there going to be? Right. It becomes a discussion about, what outcome you're trying to achieve so that we're all sort of driving in the same direction. It's, 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 it's the opposite of sort of jumping in a cab and saying, just drive with the meter running. You know what I like about that too, is that I'm picturing your, your developer having this conversation and giving this three part proposal. And then next comes consultant B who's coding an ember and gives a proposal that says it's 90 hours at this price and, and and it's this much money. All of a sudden that proposal gets thrown away. Right. You know, there's, there is no competition. Yeah. A a proposal like that is going to stand out from the way that most software developers do it. I mean, maybe, (laughs) maybe if I get my way, (laughs) eventually all of them will do it and that won't be a differentiator, but in general, it's pretty, it, more than in general, it's extremely common for any kind of service provider to be overly focused on the tasks that they're going to do for you and completely forget to tell you what you're going to get out of it as the person who's investing in their business. So like the, the example I give, another email I sent out was about my squirrel guy. Like we have our, our garage has a, is just infested with squirrels and we cannot get rid of them. And the, uh, fortunately it's separate from our house. Thank God. But uh, 
yeah, so the squirrel guy comes, he takes a look at the place. He's like, all right, uh, we're going to put a mushroom vent over here. We're going to do this, you know, the flangitudinal logination uh, over here. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's like list, 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 list. I didn't know any, any idea what any of it meant or what he was talking about. No clue whatsoever. And at no point on his estimate, or it was a quote, but at no point did he say, I would be rid of the squirrels. Mm-hmm. It was just implied that right. I would be rid of the squirrels. He never even said that in our conversation. Or even that you'd be rid of the squirrels for 12 months and then they'll probably come back or it's guaranteed in some way. Or if they do come back Mm -hmm. after six months, we'll be back and we'll fix it for free. We'll get rid of them again. Nothing like that. Just said mushroom vent, 50 bucks. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I don't even know what that is. Neither do I. I still don't. (laughs) And it's on my house. I don't even know which thing he put on there as a mushroom vent. That's on my garage. So it's like, okay, fine. And this is exactly what software developers do. It almost all the time. They're like, I'm going to build this feature and that feature. And this one's going to take about this long. And I'm going to do it in, I'm going to use, you know, GitHub to store the blah. And they've done this giant list of like, they're telling people about the, what text editor they're going to use. And it's like, come on. And, Nobody and cares consultants about do the same thing. Yeah. Process our, our yeah. 17 step process. Exactly. But, you know, I want to go back to when you were kind of walking through how this developer would talk to the client and every step had a why in it. But the one that really hit me was, you know, could we measure that? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm amazed at how often that question doesn't get asked. I mean, you want to talk a little bit about about the measurement aspect of this and, and, you know, how, how can you use that? So to me, it's an insurance policy for me. Like I am, I am, it's important to me to find something to measure, not a lagging indicator that's going to happen at the end of the project or 12 months after the project's over. I want to find something that tells us, everybody on the team, me and the client, that we're going in the right direction. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have that, it's like painting your windshield black. You just like, whoop, hit the guardrail, whoop, hit the guardrail. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's not a good way to measure. And that's a very, uh, you know, that would be an upsetting situation to be in. You want to be able to see the road. So, okay, what is the, how do we measure whether we're in between the lines here? You know, it's like, and something that we can measure along the way and to keep, make sure that you're on track so that you're getting win, 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 win. And you can adjust in the course of the project. You know, all software mm-hmm. developers are very used to the idea of agile development and making course corrections along the way. And they're very against waterfall development, and all that. But I'll, I'll be darned if I can think of one example, you know, other than in, in my, uh, as a customer of software development, I can think of no examples where someone was like, and we'll know we're in the, you know, making the right decisions along the way in this iterative process because we're measuring this thing. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it, and this is, where you get this whipsaw effect where like the most urgent thing in the sprint, you know, the most urgent thing that happened in the two week period is the thing that you focus on in the next sprint, which is basically just reacting to the market, reacting to the sales guy running in and screaming his head off. And, and this is where you get scope creep and all of those, you know, and, and software developers don't fight back. Cause it's like, Oh, more money for me. Mm-hmm. It's their fault for switching the scope, moving the goalposts. I'll just keep it getting my hundred bucks an hour. So there's no motivation on the the part of the software developers really to control, to keep, keep everybody on task. So I want something that everybody can agree to that is a reasonable leading indicator that we can measure to tell us whether or not we're on track so we can get back on track when we get off because we will. 
And then at the end, it's like, there's no big launch. There's no big reveal. It's like, yeah, we've improved these numbers. It's great. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves it. Where, you know, where do we put the statue of you? You It's like, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) Well, that's what I liked about where you were going with this and the insurance concept. I think of it as you are proactively managing the relationship with your client and as long as everybody knows what the bogey is, and, and the bogey can change a little bit as you go, but you've got a shared vision of where you want to go. So when you're done, everybody should be happy. Yeah, right. You don't want to get halfway through or to, you know, to, to the end, especially the end when the CEO is going to, oh, it's launched. Yeah, let me see it. And it isn't what I needed. This doesn't do what we mm-hmm. needed. That's, mm-hmm. that's scope. Now you're halfway through the project and you've spent the whole budget. <laughs> And everybody's yeah. mad. May, mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen people get fired over situations like this. I've seen lawsuits mm-hmm. over situations like this. It's like I don't want I don't want to expose myself to that. I'm going to give you a fixed price, and we're going to measure these things along the way to make sure that we're going in the right direction. And there's no surprise at the end. At the end is like anticlimactic. It kind of just peters out. You're like, oh, our numbers are way up. I mean, you know, this is great. It's at some point they stop calling you, and you're like, awesome. So. Well- the the one thing I want to point about about metrics is that a lot of people say, oh well, my work doesn't have a bottom line impact, or my work is doesn't have like dollars attached to it, and maybe that's true. I suppose that's true in certain cases, but it doesn't it, that doesn't mean that there's nothing to measure. Right. And I, there's a great story about a um, a geez, I'm gonna butcher it. I'll just just it's paraphrased. I'll try to find it and link to it in the show notes. But basically, the idea was that there was a, a morale problem with security guards at some sort of some sort of um, installation. I, I think it was a corporate installation. They had security guards at all the entrances and the employees had to drive through, you know, and talk to the security guard to get in. And people were complaining about the security guards, that they were rude and blah, blah, blah. And they they came up with a way to fix that. And the metric for measuring it was the security cameras and they go back through and they would count the smiles. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, the happiness of the interaction was measurable. You know, how do you, yeah. how do you measure security guard morale? Well, see how many times they smile. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can measure that. Like there is some, and I promise you, dear listener, there's always something to measure because if there wasn't, the client wouldn't know they have a problem. They're looking at something that is wrong. And in, in that they're making a judgment call based on, it doesn't have to be numbers. There could be a gut instinct, but they need to tell you what the symptoms are. Like, what is the thing that, what's the malady? What's the problem? What's the opportunity we're trying to achieve here? What's out of sync? And they'll right. say, well, this right here. Well, how do you know, like compared to what? And they'll say, oh, well, compared to this thing over here, boom, measurement, the difference between two yeah. things. How do I know when it's fixed? And so I just want to remind the listeners, you know, we're, we're using software developers as sort of an easy example, but this absolutely applies to, to any kind of consulting. There is always, always, always something to measure. And you want to measure what your client values and what you're going to focus on, right? I mean, you need to be able to, to impact this metric that you're coming up with together. Yeah, I don't know what anybody like with in absence of that. I'm so used to it now. I don't know what I would do without that. I literally wouldn't know mm-hmm. what to tie. Like I'm sitting down to do what now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it can be it can be so simple. I mean, I think with with a lot of my clients, you know, the the conversation is about um, getting more clients. So 
we almost always have a conversation about, well, what's a client worth to you? And, you know, we go through that kind of those, the same thing you did with the why. Um, so there's all kinds of metrics you can use and you can experiment with one. But what, what ultimately, I think, from my perspective, what ultimately works is the one that the client's valuing. That's why they're hiring you. Right. And if you don't think you can impact that metric, then you really shouldn't be proposing. Thank you. Yes. Correct. And you're setting yourself up for a disaster relationship. Like if you didn't mm-hmm. now imagine, imagine if you imagine a scenario where you didn't find that out. So nothing you do, no matter how smart you are, no matter how immaculate your code is, no matter how closely you adhere to best practices, they're looking for something that isn't going to come out of anything you could possibly do. And, yeah. and you know, in a relationship like that, they're probably paying you by the hour, boop, 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 boop. all of a sudden it starts to get on somebody's radar because we're up to $75,000. It's like, what, what, wait, what is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, more than once in my life, I've heard the quote, I paid all this money and got nothing to show for it. Yes. Because we didn't find out at the beginning what it was they were trying to get from us. We've just been driving around in a cab in circles and going around the scenic route to nowhere. <laughs> I like that mm-hmm. scenic route to nowhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I just I just had a, a guy who is uh, is a new client explain this to me. So in the proposal process, and he said, "Listen, I've hired, and he, he couldn't even remember how many. So it was that many. I've hired, you know, a lot of people to help me figure out this, you know, insert big problem, mm-hmm. and they all did what they said they were going to do, but none of them solved the problem. <laughs> Here's your report. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was very specific about the outcome. So we designed this process to get to his outcome and he doesn't care about the process. He cares about the outcome, Mm -hmm. but that's what got him off the dime Mm -hmm. is to see how it got to where he wanted to be. Now, you know, I I would argue that those consultants didn't, didn't do him uh, much of a service. And the flip side is I wish he had been more forceful with them at that time to say, this is what I want. How are you going to get me there? By the time he got to me, he was so clear. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't going to do anything that didn't have a direct line of sight to his outcome and, right. and who could blame him. Right. It's the right, the right move for him. Yep. Yeah. And some people say, well, I can't guarantee the outcome. I do, I do design and the goal is to, uh, I don't know, uh, increase fees or some, some very bottom line outcome. And, and, oh, and, and all I'm doing is opt in landing pages for their mailing list or something like that. Or I'm writing white papers for their, it's like, okay, fine. You know, you're not going to have a direct impact on the bottom line. Like, like your, your page maybe will lead to an uptick in subscribers though. And mm-hmm. so you can, you can say, all right, well, what would be again, work with them. How do we know we're on, how are we going to know we're on the right track? How are we going to know if I hit a home, a home run? Like I want right. to, I want to hit a home run. So tell me where the wall right. is and I'll right. swing for it. Right. And they'll say, well, you know, we believe, and it's important that they say this, we believe that if we could double the number of opt-ins for our mailing list, we believe that that would have a million dollar bottom line outcome for us. But you're not, you, the person creating the opt-in page cannot value price based off the million. Because there are, you know, mm-hmm. just myriad other factors that could screw that up or do all these other other things. But you, you can discount your price based on all of that unknown risk. You say, well, 
client, how much, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm confident that I can increase your opt-in numbers. So I've looked at your existing page. I am confident that I can, uh, increase the numbers and you can discount that for the likelihood of it happening. Or you can say, how much do you think you could just come straight out and be like, how much do you think that would be worth? Mm-hmm. But certainly yeah. you can measure, you know, we're getting a little bit into pricing, but the, the point is that there's, there's always something to measure because they know something's wrong. That's why they're talking to you. How do you know something's wrong? Well, because this thing's out of joint or because my, my engine is making this loud noise every time it turns over. Like there's something they know is wrong. You're like, okay, we want to make that noise go away. Well, and I think, you know, as you were describing this, what struck me is, is you're also describing the difference between freelancing versus consulting. Yes. You know, and, and the freelancer is in your example is, okay, I want to design the button and it's going to take me 20 hours at $200 an hour. And, and, you know, here's the proposal versus the consulting. Well, what do you want it to do? And so how will you know when it's done? Mm-hmm. And, and so you start to do that. And all of a sudden, instead of feeling like as a client, instead of feeling like, all right, this, you know, this is just somebody grinding out the hours to get it done and doesn't really care much about it. I have somebody who's asking me these questions. All of a sudden, I feel like I have maybe a partner, mm-hmm. right? But at least an ally in trying to get where we want to go. And that person, that, that consulting person may also be asking me questions I didn't think to ask myself. Yeah. Consultants push back. Yeah. They do, yeah. A fr- a fr- I mean, the word freelance comes from mercenary. It's like a freelance, a, a lance that is available mm-hmm. for hire, you yeah. know, sword for hire. So, you know, it's like, I don't care. I don't care what side I'm on. Just pay me and I'll show up with my lance. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an apt name for the behavior that I see in a lot of freelancers. I did what I said I would do. Um, they're mad. They won't pay me the last you know, payment or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, cause you didn't achieve anything for them. And, and whose fault that is, is hard to, you know, it's, it's up in the air right. whose fault it is. There's, there's always plenty of fault to, to be shared. Right. But there are websites devoted to clients from hell and, you know, just, you, you don't have to look very far on the internet to find freelancers complaining about their clients. Oh, they don't respect what I do. And it's like, well, you're acting like a mercenary putting, you know, what I don't want to get in a, I don't, you know, not all freelancers are bad. I recognize that, but it is, but to your point, it's a different mentality as people move away from that and toward the consultant mentality where it, it's, it's, well, it's more consultative. I mean, it's like right in the name, it's right there, Yeah. you know, Yeah. and it, it's a, it's a maturation process. I think, I don't think anybody's like a pure freelancer or pure consultant or in the, the high end of that spectrum, I would say is an authority. So, you know, I think the progression of that someone who's listening to this podcast would be on is maybe they started at freelance, they moved into a consultant status, which I see as like an intermediate level. And they're on their way to black belt status, which is being an authority a recognized authority. And, I, you know, that's just a scale I, I use. It's not like one person is in exactly one place or is it's not really a binary thing somewhere on a sliding scale. Yeah. It's, it, and, and you might choose to stop yourself at any point in there, you know, as, mm-hmm. as an individual with your career path, you might say, well, yeah, I like, I like consulting, but I'm not really interested in being an authority. I'm thinking of a, a client I have who's sort of in that space where she loves what she's doing and she really doesn't want to write a book. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to get on the speaking circuit. She loves what she does and she's busy. Yep. 
And I admire that. And she's, and not only does she love what she does, she's really good at it. So she is sort of an authority without trying to be an authority. <laughs> but you wouldn't, you won't see her writings. You won't see her, uh, her picture. You won't see her speaking at the, at the key conferences. She's just not interested in doing it. Yeah. Um, but it's a great place to be. Yeah. I, hey, so it just depends happy. where you want to go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're happy freelancing, great. It's just common to hear a lot of dissatisfaction from from the freelance community that, you know, they're don't they have bad client relationships. It it's it's a it's like a meme. It's a very common thing. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with moving away from that mercenary mentality by asking these questions, you know, uh, yes, you're hiring me to do copywriting for you, or yes, you're hiring me to shoot this, these photos, or yes, you're hiring me to write this code, but start asking why. If you start asking why, that's you moving farther away from being a sort of garden variety freelancer to moving up to more of a, a consultant type of approach where you're saying, well, okay, well, why do you want this new feature? Oh, well, maybe, we, maybe there's another way we could get this outcome. There would be a, a lot less time and money for you and less work for mm-hmm. me. You know, you, mm-hmm. and you're thinking more broadly about the ways that you can achieve the outcomes for your clients instead of thinking like, I write Ember code. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jonathan, what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that really there's two kinds of questions. There's the why question, mm-hmm. which you keep asking as you, as you go through this to try and figure out what your client is really buying. Mm-hmm. And then there's the measurement piece. Yep. Is, is there anything more, do you think? There's the value piece, but that's, that's like a whole hour long, you know, but yeah, that's a book, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you need to, but it's the next thing. So it's like, what are we actually, what's the outcome? What are the metrics mm-hmm. that we're going to, going to watch to make sure we're on track? And then what's the value of the outcome? And then you can set mm-hmm. a price based on some fraction of the value. So, I mean, those are the three big things. Yeah. But why, why is the starting point? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think why is what takes you where you need to go, because if, if you're thinking about this as an hourly project, you know, X number of hours times your hourly rate, you're always going to come to the same end. But every time you ask why, I think it you veer off a little bit it, in a good way. You're veering off towards the client's desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're setting yourself up to disconnect your time from your money, which is critical, for, in my yeah. opinion. Otherwise, you'll never yeah. have never have um, profitable client relationships. You'll always have these sort of razor thin margins, probably on both sides. So yeah, I'm not, well, a, not the, a fan. And the peaks and valleys. It's the peaks and valleys that I think are sometimes hardest. Right. Yeah, it's brutal. And it's another one of those things. Everybody talks about it. It's like, yeah, it's a common problem. And like, mm-hmm. you know, don't get me going. I think it goes straight back to what we're talking about here, which is that yeah. you don't know what the outcomes are, you're not pricing the outcomes, you're pricing, you're pricing your hands instead of your head. So you're, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do these things. And at the end, you're going to see that I did them and I can prove it. Here's my timesheet. <laughs> and it's like, great, but this didn't get us any closer to our goal. It's like, well, you didn't tell me you had a goal. Okay. Well, it seemed obvious to me what the goal was. And the other person's like, well, it seemed obvious to me that you were just paying me by the hour. And it's like, it, it, it allows people to get to work without knowing what they're working on, what they're working toward, I should say. So not, not a fan of hourly billing. <laughs> no, no. And, but, and, and it goes back to that hourly billing, I think tends to reinforce that you're really an extra pair of hands 
Um, yeah. you know, you're, you're basically an employee without the benefits. Yeah. You're interchangeable. And yeah. And you know, I just, I just hear that and I cringe who wants to be interchangeable. You want to be, you know, uniquely you highly valuable. You want your advice and your skill set to be appreciated, to be valued. Uh, you know, I just, I, and all you have to do really, if you think about it is start asking why that's the first step. Yes. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. I was listening. (laughs) Yeah. And you, yes, you'll lose clients over it. Yes. People will come in and say, Hey, we'd like you to do the thing. And you, you, okay, why do you want that? Well, we just want you to do it. Well, then we're not going to work together. Yeah. But, but guess what? You have to get comfortable. Yeah. You have to get comfortable with that. So, all right. Should probably stick a fork in it. I feel like I get, I get to go off the soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting taller and taller. Well, I just think, you know, if you look at, the perspective I've been talking about it's it's you know what you think you're selling isn't what your clients are buying it's that I mean that's the it's really really key it's it's understanding getting inside the head of your buyer and really I mean we could simplify it into a, a sentence you just start asking why mm-hmm. yeah. and obviously the measurement piece is is important too but you can start just take a baby step by start with why yep oh I think there's a book about that <laughs> Yeah, I didn't buy a mushroom vent for my squirrel guy. I, I bought a squirrel-free garage. You know? Exactly. He sold me a mushroom vent, but what I bought was a squirrel-free garage. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>